But I do want to finish this chapter. I thought it was good last week as we started it. Uh, we talked about how late the wise men were making it to there. And then I don't know about you guys, but this title just kind of hits home sometimes for us because it's kind of like that fa la 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 blah. I heard somebody in the, in the story the other day say, I'm just glad Christmas is over. And I can understand where they were coming from. I could, I could relate. But then at the same time, I'm like, man, like, for what we've turned it into, what we've tried to create it, I'm like, so you had Christmas without Christ then. You know what I'm saying? Because I don't want what we've, and I know we've kind of made it that and, and, and all that kind of thing despite your dates and all that stuff, but, but man, I, I want it to be a year-long kind of celebration when we're talking about Christ part of it. And I ain't talking about Christmas buying gifts and all that mumbo-jumbo stuff, but you know, for, for a lot of us, the decorations are packed up. The holiday's over. Feels like it just got started. Now there's that post-Christmas crash. You know, you're deciding whether you still want your family that came to visit to stay for the new year or if you're just ready for them to go back home. Oh, if you just got looked at, man, don't look at people when I say stuff like that. <laughs> Everybody knows you're the family member they want to leave. Uh, we're glad you're at church so you can stay here. How about that? <laughs> We're back to our complicated and chaotic lives, you know, and, and really, for if we're, if we're real blunt and honest, Christmas or this season, whatever you want to call it and turn it into, it's made life more complicated and chaotic because we've tried to cram so much in and tried to make so much, so much of it. So it really has been a fa-la-la-la-blah season. Um, and I don't think Mary and Joseph were much different, to be honest. When, when you check out Matthew chapter 2, they had great letdowns as well. They're joyfully greeted by shepherds, and then, you know, six months, we said six months to 18 months last week, six months to 18 months later, some wise guys show up, some, some astrologers. They came, and they didn't just come to, to, to see him, they came to worship him. They bowed down, they came to give, not to receive. They, they came and, and gave honor, gave respect, gave what was... What was due. And then, after all these expensive gifts, things head south, literally. And I say that because my wife is big on that word. Anytime we hear the word literally, she's like, well, no, they don't mean literally. No, I mean things went south literally because they're going to travel south. So this time it works. And, and for a lot of our emotions, they, they go down, which is south. So that works literally. But, you know, what's funny is you read all the other accounts of, of the beginning of Christ's life and and they don't have a lot of this stuff. You know, there's no songs of sadness and none of our Christmas plays and skits that we try to do to portray the birth of Christ. None of them have what we're going to talk about today. I mean, who wants to have a, a Christmas skit and then end it with a bunch of blood and killing of kids? I mean, that sounds horrible, right? So, so you get this, this narrative that is now from the book of Matthew, and it gives us just this little piece that nobody else gives us, but it's reality. It's drenched in tears and fears and and pain and problems and and man, the sadness that's behind it. And, and we've tried to make it even sadder, which I, I'm somewhat amused by that we feel like we need to make God's story better. You know, I was reading a lot of stuff this well, the last couple of weeks, really, and, and one guy had written about all the thousands of kids that died on this, this day. And I'm like, there wasn't but a thousand people in Bethlehem. How was there thousands of kids that died? Why do we feel like we need to make God's story bigger or more graphic than it really is. Now, I'm not saying 20 or 30 kids isn't sad enough. That's extremely sad. That's, that's miserable. That's horrible. But you don't have to make God's story bigger or better. Let's just study it for truth. Let's study it for what it is. 
there was roughly a thousand people in Bethlehem at this time, so therefore there was probably 20 to 30 kids that died. Moment, but it's sad. It's nothing you'd see on a Christmas card or singing a Christmas carol about. It's it's rough. This stuff's kept off the list. Nobody talks about this stuff because because we can't explain it. Because then it brings forth the question of of God, if you could protect Jesus and tell Joseph how to move, why didn't you just stop Herod in the beginning? So I came to answer that. Ready? I don't know. Write it down. Not making up any stories. Not trying to make you sound real. I don't know. I don't have a clue. I really don't. All I know is he was concerned about making sure Jesus stayed alive so the Christ that was born in a manger could make it to Calvary. Right? And then I, I hit this thing, and I'm not no art guy. I know I got fancy new shoes on for Christmas, and that looks really sporty, my wife said. So, But don't, don't confuse me for being no fancy high-class art guy, right? But then there's, there's this thing in modern art. And this particular one really got me. And there's other artists that do it. But this, this guy, he's French. His name is Bernard Prias. I'm probably saying that wrong, but like everybody else's name, I butcher. You know, but he creates this masterpiece with, like, common objects. I want you to look real, real close. We've got a video of it so you can see it. It's just a pile of junk. If you look close enough, you see a couch, you see a guitar, a sofa, a chair. You see some luggage. You see a bicycle seat. That's cool. Hold on, stay with it. Huh. Huh. Notice that you only see what the artist intended you to see when you look at it from the artist's perspective. When you first see it, it's a pile of crap. Right? It looks like somebody, it looks like my kid's room. Now, literally, now I, I even, this is no lie to you, when I first saw this, it was actually last week, it wasn't even this week, when I first saw it, I, I ran into my kid's room and, like, tried to look at different angles. I was like, maybe I've got, like, this world-renowned artist at the house that I didn't know about yet. We're going to be famous, we're going to be rich. I just hadn't seen it from his perspective yet. So I'm, like, standing on his bed looking down, I'm looking from the dresser, I, I climb and look backward. I mean, I'm looking at all of it, and it's still just a pile of crap, son, clean it up. But this guy, he takes a sofa, a bicycle seat, a guitar. Um, man, I don't even remember what else was in there. He takes a bunch of stuff. Nothing important. Nothing major. Just, just a pile of clutter. But he arranges it that when you look at it from his perspective, it's exactly what you want him to see. So here's point number one. When we talk about the story of Christ, when we talk about this horrific beginning, when we talk about the death of 20 to 30 babies for no apparent reason, when we talk about an evil ruler like Herod, when we, when we talk about things in Scripture that we wouldn't have put in there if we were writing this thing, which stories like this, to be honest with you guys, it lets me know the gospel's true. Because there ain't no way if somebody was making it up, they would include this stuff. Why would, you, why would you randomly make that up like that? No, you would have it all happy and joy, and we would sing Kumbaya at the end. It would be just great, right? Not, not this. But when you look at Scripture from the perspective of the writer, and I'm not talking about Matthew at this point, you can see the beauty of exactly what it is the artist, the creator, our heavenly creator, desires for us to have, desires for us to see, and what it can become.
Now, I'm not telling you it doesn't look like a pile of crap. But I'm telling you, when we look at it from his point of view, there's a picture and there's a point. And there's a purpose. And when you look at your life and it's piled up with a bunch of junk and you don't understand what's going on and you don't like it and you don't like uh, what, what the fa-la-la-la-blah -la 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 has brought and created, just know that if you're, if you're, fo if you're following, hear the ifs, please don't, don't leave here today thinking, oh, I can do whatever I want with my pile of crap and God's going to make a pretty picture out of it. No, that ain't what I'm saying. I'm saying if you're following his will, if you're in obedience with him, if you've surrendered to him, then he takes all that stuff and he makes a really cool picture out of it. He makes something neat out of it. The same way God uses common objects, common people, common stuff. And that's what he's doing in Matthew chapter 2 to, to make us see at the right angle what exactly it is that God wants us to see. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 2. Sure to be there as Wilson read for us. Again, verses that don't normally get much attention. If they do, they're just hit over real quick. And I think we get some lessons on how we can beat some of the blahs, some of the chaos, some of the, some of the headaches, some of the grief, some of the, the lack of understandings, right? And I want to point one thing out before I jump into our lessons. If you know your Old Testament, you'll recognize the significance of Egypt here at the beginning, which I just think I only pointed out because God wouldn't let me give it a point in the sermon. So I had to make it its own little point, right? So it's, it's, really, it's just really good. When you think of Egypt, Old Testament, what's some things you think of? Moses, which would be what? Bondage. Slavery. What did Mitch say? World power. The biggest, most powerful world power known during the time period. And they didn't do it in the right way. They didn't keep it in the right way. So you got, you got sin. You got, you got slavery. You got really some stuff that we would be saying you ought to let go of. But then on the other hand, here's something we always forget about it. I'm going to show you in Genesis chapter 46, just, just a couple of verses, that it signifies safety and security. Well, what do you mean about that? Well, Joseph's, Joseph's namesake, he had this, this tough time before God blessed him and, and Jacob, his forefather. Look at Genesis chapter 46, verses 3 and 4. This is, this is him speaking, the father speaking. He says, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. You know it's got to be somewhere you don't want to go when God starts the story with don't be afraid to go there. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it's somebody you feel compelled to go talk to. It's somebody you feel compelled to go witness to. It's a mission trip you feel compelled to go on. It's a lesson you feel compelled to preach and teach and, and share with somebody. And God starts the story with don't, don't be afraid to go do this thing that I know you're afraid to do. I mean, right? God knows everything. So, like, when he starts that, he's already saying, like, I know you're afraid. I know you're not comfortable. I know you don't like it. I know you're not where you want to be. But this is where I want you to be. This is where I'm going to take all your clutter in the room and make a cool picture. Right? Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down. Here's the best part. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. Man, it's a pretty thing when you get called somewhere you don't want to be called to know that the one who called you to go there is going to go with you, and he's going to go all the way with you, all the way. He's never, he's never going to leave, never going to pray. He never leaves Joseph and Mary during this whole story. We're going to talk about that, right? Like, like he's going to go with you, but, but that ending, 
And surely, surely I will bring you back again. I will bring you back safely. You will, you will make this journey. You will do this trip. You will see the clutter. And eventually at some point I might let you get a glimpse of the angle I'm looking at so that you can see that you've made it back again. To see something, to see something the right way, to see, to see one through the other starts with following his lead. If we want to see things the way God wants us to see them, if we want to see things from God's perspective, since we said perspective matters, we got to start by following God's way. If we're not willing to go where God's called us to go, we'll never see what God wants us to see. You want to get what other people got? You better go where other people are going. Right? Look at this very first lesson. Here's number one. Here's the actual, actual point for the sermon, right? Instant exhibit. If you want to get over the Christmas blahs, then, then exhibit instant obedience. Start being obedient. It's simple. It's easy. It starts with that. Look at what he says. Arise. Take the young child. He ain't no baby no more. You know, so I told you last week, for those of you that missed it last week, you know, when you set up your nativity scene next week, or next year, sorry, or in June, whenever you want to set it up, you know, when it might be more accurate. Whenever you set that thing up, I, I, want you, I want your nativity scene on one end of the house with the shepherds and the sheep and the cows and the goats and Mary and Joseph and all that. But then on the whole other end of your house is where I want the wise men. I started telling you you should take your wise men and get rid of them for a little while, but no, they shouldn't be got rid of. They're part of the story. They just need to be 80 feet on the other side of the house because they got a long journey to make before they get to that nativity scene. By the time they make it there, he's a young child. He's in a house. We said it last week. He's in a home. He's not in no manger. So he says, arise, take the young child and his mother. And again, if you missed last week, just really neat because you're going to see this about three times a day in this verse. I'm not going to point it out all three times, but the child's listed before the mother every time unheard of in writing unheard of in a level of respect showing you that this child christ really is who he's supposed to be right so take this child and his mother and flee to egypt the command is urgent you can write this down too if the command is urgent the response should be urgent the command is urgent it's a rise it's it's get up right now joseph get up and go take this child take this mother and, and get out of here by this very night and then there's there's joseph's rapid leaving the very night of this dream I don't know about you, but if I had a dream that woke me up, I'm going to, like, lay back down to make sure it was real. Well, God, I'm going to sleep again. If you really meant it, you'll give me another one. God, I'm going to go back to sleep, and when I wake up, you'll give me the energy to, to do this thing. Not Joseph, man. Joseph, the very night of the dream, complete obedience. This is so impressive to me. I mean, th this, is, this is legit. This is following Christ. This is following the Lord, so that you can see the Lord's perspective in the picture, right? Now, now this isn't what Joseph would have pictured. This isn't what he would imagine. You know, I, I hear some of you guys talk about your dreams all the time, so every now and then I'll, I'll get mad at the Lord and be like, man, I wish I could dream like that. I mean, just off-the-wall stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like, my wife dreamed about Tony Romo last night. <laughs> oh, not last night, last week. Sorry, sorry. It wasn't that kind of dream, right? But, like, like she, she just had this dream with famous people and stuff going on, and and just like it was, and I'm like, Lord, I'll take a cool dream like that. So I pictured Joseph, and I'm like, man, he gets engaged. He's thinking about the honeymoon. We're going to go here. And he's making all these plans. His wife goes away for a little while. You're like, oh, she's going to beauty school. 
She's going to come back ready. She's going to get her skin glowing. She's going to get her hair done. She's going to, oh, this is going to be so awesome. Except for when she comes back, she's got a belly. What kind of beauty school does she go to? Right? This ain't what this guy's thinking of. And, and some, for some reason, he has this other dream that tells him to keep her. So, so he, he does. And then he's like, all right, we've made it through this thing. We've, we've had this child, the wise men, have come and showered us with these cool gifts. It's all going to be great now. I'm going to start my business. I'm going to take, take that chest of gold that those wise men just gave me, and I'm going to start the business. We're going to open Bill's Enterprise number two, baby. This thing's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. Good stuff's going on right now. All these dreams, all these what could be's, all these what ifs. But then, then this dream says, man, you need to get up and get out of here. You need to go. Your money's not going to be used to start a business. Your money's going to be used to travel. And it ain't going to be the kind of travel like you was hoping. It's going to be on the run. Not, nothing like he would imagine. Nothing like he would have He would have hoped. Later on, Matthew, again, verses 19 through 21, that Wilson read, it said, arise again, that same word. Take the young child and his mother again. He spoke to him again in a dream. And again, Joseph's quick response. So here's like lesson 1A. If you want to hear from God, sleep more. That's what I gathered from it, right? <laughs> amen. You should have amen that, right? Like every time this guy goes to sleep, he hears from the Lord, he dreams, and he gets something out of it. At least that's an excuse you can use when you doze off today from a long weekend, right? Here's another neat thing about Joseph. In all the writings, anything I've ever checked out, he never says nothing. There's no recorded words. I'm like, man, like, if, if that's the dude I had picked to be the father of the Messiah, you know, I mean, he's not a dad. He's, he's, a, he's not a stepdad. He's a dad that stepped up. You've seen the shirts, right? Like, this, this is this guy. He stepped up, and he's got it ready, and he's got it rolling, and he's doing this thing. But he never speaks. But he's so full of action. Here's what I love. I love that actions speak louder than words. Right? Though Joseph may never say anything, he does everything he's told to do, and he instantly obeys this whole time. That first thing I was talking about, Matthew chapter 1, verse 24, when, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him to do and took Mary as his wife. I would have woke up with a lot of questions, just being honest. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I hope I could be as, as awesome as Joseph is, but I don't know how I've been. So scene one, you, you got this angel telling him, go to Egypt. He doesn't wait till the morning. He gets up and goes instantly. Then you got another scene where he's told to go back to Israel. He does so immediately again. Then he's warned in another dream not to stay in Judea, but to head north to Nazareth. I mean, every time this guy goes to sleep, he's got a direction change going on. You guys ask and say, man, I want to hear from God more. Are you sure you want to hear from God more? Because God will take you south, he'll take you north, he'll take you east, he'll take you west. He'll take you everywhere. But he goes with you everywhere, too. That's just, every time he goes to sleep, he's got like this different, this different travel trip to wake up to. Like, Lord, that, that ain't what I meant, Lord. That, that ain't what I want. That, I didn't anybody ask you where you want to go? You went to sleep, you wake up, I tell you where to go. Right? Look, look at some of these words. The words here are cool when you break them down into the, to the original meaning. So Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, this phrase, get up, it means to be roused from inactivity. You think Joseph was sleeping. That makes sense. He was inactive. But the word here, you be roused from inactivity. He had to be, he had to be prodded from inaction to action. Is that not some of us sometimes? Huh? Couldn't some of us use a little more prodding? 
from the inactivity we're in to get us active, to get us moving, to get us doing. And then it says this phrase, and take, which literally breaks down into, and take your responsibility seriously. See, their language would have it a whole lot deeper than we have it. We just had get up and take. He says to be roused from inactivity and to take your responsibility seriously. It's time to get serious about what you've been poked to do. That's what he's saying. It's time to get serious about moving and some action. Then this word escape, to move with haste because of danger. I think God wants his people to move a little quicker than what we move sometimes. Right? Notice, Joseph doesn't ask for more information. He doesn't request more time. The Lord said it. That settled it. He's not waking up asking questions. He's not trying to play let's make a deal with God. He's not trying to say let's obey later. He's not complaining about how rough this would be with the, with, y'all ever tried to travel with a baby? That was his first trip. You ever tried to, tra- the baby one's easy. All y'all were like, yes, real quick. No, they in a car seat. They strapped down. They can't make but so much noise and they can't move but so far. You ever tried to travel with a two-year-old? They got to stop and, yes. <laughs> Parker messes everything up, right? <laughs> He wants to stop and pee every five minutes. He wants to move. He's wiggling. He's throwing his toys. He's dropping his fries. I mean, this is a nightmare. But yet you don't hear Joseph complaining about any of that. You don't hear him wondering about the travel accommodations. You don't hear him wondering, Father, where are we going to stay? You don't hear him saying, yeah, but but did you really arrange all the, oh, no, he just gets up and goes. Listen, listen to some verses. Hebrews 11, 8. None of these are on the screen, so just jot them down to study them. Hebrews 11, 8 tells us that Abraham obeyed and went to a strange land. That word strange means an unknown location. Could you imagine just being so obedient that you get up and go to an unknown location? Huh? I don't like like going to places I do know sometimes, more or less places I don't know. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, to obey is better than sacrifice. Oh, man, that means what you give in that box back there ain't nearly as important as what you give in your heart. That, 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 mean, that, mean, that means what, 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 what you sacrifice or feel like you're sacrificing isn't nearly as important as you actually obeying and doing the things that you felt led to do through Scripture. To obey is better than sacrifice. How about Jesus in John chapter 13, verse 17, when he says, it talks about blessings flowing out of obedience. He says, now that you know these things. Now, the order is important. Keep it in mind. He says, now that you know. You don't know it and you ain't there. But he says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if, everybody say if, two letters, but it's really hard for us to comprehend as a modern day society. We just think God's going to bless us because if you do them, you'll be blessed if you do them. If we say that we love the Lord, then we ought to be showing it. John chapter 14, verse 15 says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. A lot of ifs, a lot of stipulations there, right? Let, let me ask you this. What area is the Lord expecting you to be more instantly obedient in? What area? Is there something that he's prompting you to do that you've been delaying? Psalm chapter 119, verse 60, David writes, he says, I, I will hasten and do not and not to delay to obey the commands. Meaning this, like if you want to obey, then stop delaying and do them. What decision has God put on your heart that you've been putting off? What ungodly relationship have you supposed to be cut off that you ain't cut off? What application were you supposed to send in that you didn't send in? What gift have you supposed to be given that you ain't given? What commitment that you need to make? What person that you need to forgive? Who do you need to go ask for forgiveness from? You see all this stuff that we delay because it makes us uncomfortable? 
What's an area in Brookhaven that you ought to be plugged into that you're not plugged into yet? All this. All this is God's command. And yet we're not like Joseph. We're wasting time not doing it. Joseph didn't waste no time. He didn't wait till the morning. He didn't wait till the next week. It says that he immediately packed up that night and headed to Egypt. Immediate obedience. God said move, and Joseph moved. He didn't ask for plan B. He didn't say, I'll try to figure it out in the morning. I, I, I'm almost convinced that this is the one thing and the one reason that God chose Joseph. He knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that Joseph, he knew his heart. He knew that he was sensitive to do God's will. Ask yourself, has God not picked you for something because you're not sensitive to do his will? You're not sensitive to, to obey? A life of faith is a life of relationship, trust, and a God that loves us so deeply. When you trust God, you know that he's got the best things planned out for you. You know, the, you know that you might not get to see it in the clutter, but you know that he's got a great perspective of the picture. If you trust him. For every single hassle God calls you to do, God also provides the help to get you through the hassle. Psalm chapter 46, God is our refuge and our strength. A very present, literally breaks down into an abundantly available, an abundantly available help in a time of trouble. Number one, just start obeying him immediately. Number two, we don't like this part. Expect constant opposition. You thought obedience was bad? Expect the enemy to try to attack you, right? You can only be surprised by the unexpected. You know why Clemson's fake uh, field goal didn't work? We lost two, by the way, so I ain't picking on them. All right, but you know why theirs didn't work? Because Tennessee had studied film. They expected it. They knew it. And they were able to stop it. Right? You can only be surprised by the unexpected. What are you unexpectedly surprised by? And why are you surprised by it? He, he holds nothing back in Scripture in trying to fairy tale this thing. He says, pain, hurt, hassle, none of them things are going to take a holiday. You thought because you had holiday time off, they ain't taking no holiday time off. If anything else, they might come even more during this time. I look at this story and I'm like, man, Jesus, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, God himself that left the throne of heaven and came to earth. Him and his family spent the first few years traveling north and traveling south and traveling east. and traveling. They were running circles around a territory they didn't even want to be in as refugees trying to escape headache and heartache. And, and I think mine ought to be better. Huh? That tells me as a believer, I might as well expect some opposition. I might as well expect some persecution. But just as Joseph endured this stuff, we ought to understand, like, if we're going to bear the name of Christ, expect no less. God doesn't remove the difficulties because you're a believer. But he does lead you through them because you're a believer. He does go with you through all, every single one of them, right? Joseph learned that to be a caretaker for Christ, it meant quiet life was over, Right? Good, good news, uh, it, it would come in shortage. And that's the same thing for us as Christ followers. Our life should, and I guess one thing you could say for Joseph, his life ain't blah and boring no more. I mean, you think about it. For a guy who didn't talk a lot, he probably went to work, made his little wooden chairs, rocking chair, and came back home that day, and that was it. Went to work, made a table, came back home, that was it. You know, it was a set schedule. It was kind of blah, kind of boring. But when Christ come on the scene, his life was shook up in every which direction, literally. Right? And that should be the same for us. If you're truly a believer, your life's going to be shook up in every which direction. Blah, blah and boring is gone. You don't get no more of that. I don't know who said it, but it, check this out. I think this is so true right here. In order to see 
the babe in Bethlehem, one must pass through Jerusalem and awaken the King Herod. In order to see the babe in Bethlehem, one's got to pass through Jerusalem and awaken the King Herod. Hear me right now, church. There are Herods everywhere. I think Herod is the seed of the serpent, literally. I think back, and I'm not sure I fully grasp the understanding of Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, but in Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, the writer writes, and he says, and I think I catch enough of it to know that Satan is intent on wiping out believers. He says, then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring. Those who obey God's commands and hold to the testimony of Jesus. I think Herod was just a seed of that dragon being used. I think he was just a, just an even, I think if, if God had eliminated Herod, which we, he does get eliminated, and what comes up? His son, who Joseph also has to be rescued from. So it's not like another seed of the serpent wouldn't just arise. Since Satan couldn't murder the Emmanuel, he tries this tactic so, so stealthy, I guess you could call it. Could you imagine being the mamas that day, by the way? These soldiers roll into your village. For no apparent reason, you don't know what's going on. They don't, they don't sit down and explain it to you. How many, how many moms and dads possibly die with their kids? That's what I thought about this week. Now, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you're coming to get my two-year-old, you're going to get me. Huh? I'm going to get One of them's going to go back with a black eye. At least one, maybe more. But one of them at least is going back with a black eye, and he got to tell a story about how one daddy popped the snot out of him. Kept it clean right there for you kids, right? One, one of them's going to have to go back and tell the story. But he might have had to take my life too. So who's to say just because it ain't recorded, how many, how many parents, how many grandparents, how many aunts, how many uncles? How much pain was exhibited because of this thing, right? One could almost say, this is a weird twist on it, one could almost say Satan is an artist as well. And he's painting pictures with chaos that if we'll look at through his perspective, maybe if we look at him through his perspective, we'll start being aware and being ready better. Being able to stand out from it, rather. Verse, go back to verse 3 from last week. I wrote, Herod produces a community of fear. Fear, fear is what's coming in. When he rolls into these villages, fear is happening. But here, here's what we said last week with it. It said, when King Herod was deeply disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. Not pointing out last week, I think, I think the whole country, the whole, ter- whole city, whole territory was stirred up. Because of the entourage that came with these kings. It wasn't just three dudes on a camel. They had guards. They had soldiers with them. They probably came in with upwards of 100 to 300, maybe even positive. Could you imagine 300 people coming into a city of only 1,000? They coming in with 33% more than you had total in your village. That would shake things up, right? It shook things so much up for Herod that he... The guy, by the way, you missed last week, this guy killed his favorite wife. I don't know what that meant if you weren't his favorite wife. Right, if he was willing to kill, listen, listen, this is history, this ain't even scriptural. He killed his favorite wife, so I guess if you weren't the favorite, you're really gone. He killed her uncle who saved his life years before that. That dude was like 80 and he took him out. He took out his father-in-law. That's not a bad idea. Um, he, 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 took out, <laughs> he took out some kids, his own kids, by the way. This guy was ruthless. This guy was cruel. This guy was so cruel when he gets sick at the end of his life. This is history, too. When he gets sick in his life, he writes a, a decree. And in the decree, it's that all the priests are to be put to death when he dies. He writes this because he knew nobody was going to fear and mourn his death. 
So he figured if they, if, if they killed all the priests at the temple, that they would mourn them at least during this same time period. Now, luckily, when he dies, they, they erase that judgment, get rid of it, and that didn't happen. But that's how cruel this guy is. That's how evil this guy is. Yet he's afraid of a baby. He's afraid of a child. He's afraid of something that's 18 to 24 months old. So afraid that he's willing to go through and clean house of a village of everybody under two, just in case the wise men missed the date. He gave a couple months of extra, extra food in there. He produces a community of fear. Jerusalem had a lot of, a lot of good reason to feel troubled by Herod. Because when, when Herod was troubled, he caused more trouble. You, write this down. This is good. Leaders produce in others what they exhibit in themselves. Leaders produce in others what they exhibit in themselves. You ain't happy with the way your kid acts? Guess where he got it from? You. Right? You ever look sometime and see like a little girl and you're like, oh, you know she's her mama's daughter. Why? Because she acts just like her. Right? Or you know that's his daddy's son. Why? Because he acts just like him. Huh? You know what I'm saying? Like, like leaders produce in the others what they exhibit in themselves. Men, hear me. If you're the leader of your household, your household is acting the way it acts because of you. Mama's the same way. Teachers, the same thing. Whatever area your boss, worker, if your workers are miserable, guess where they get it from? You. Leaders exhibit and others what they produce in themselves. When King Herod finally discovered the, the, the wise men had left, and, and he went berserk. I mean, look back at 16. I wasn't even going to read it again, but it's there. Then Herod, he realized what it, he had been outwitted by these wise men. He'd been outwitted. The trick play worked on him. He flew into rage. And he gave orders to massacre all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under. In keeping with the time that he learned from these wise men. Man. The deceiver, remember he had told him, what he telling you? Would you guys come back here and tell me so I can go worship him? He was deceiving. The deceiver has now been deceived. This is a, this is a good lesson too. God will only allow people to pretend for so long. You worried about somebody who's pretending in the church? Don't worry. God only let them pretend for so long. I'm serious. That's a strong lesson. God only lets you be a faker for so long before everybody starts knowing how real you are or how unreal you are, I guess I should say. I prove it. Galatians chapter 6, 7 through 9. says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please the sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. You're not going to play God. You're not going to trick him. He's going to be known. Back in Numbers chapter 32, verse 23, it says, be sure because your sin will follow you out. Huh? Be sure because your sin, your sin's going to find you out. You think you're playing religion? Oh, it's going to find out. You think you can say the right words long enough? Ah, eventually it's going to catch you. Why? Because like Joseph, your action is more important than your words. Years later, Jesus is going to look at his disciples, John chapter 15, verse 18, and he's going to tell them, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. I wonder if he thought back to, to those, I, I don't know, it's weird to think about Jesus being God, right? It's like, did he remember when he was two, or did he not? I don't, I don't know, I don't know the right answer there, right? But, but, but could you imagine, like, if he had full knowledge and he did, could you imagine if he remembered back to when he was two and he was on the run? Man, they hated me before I even, like, could put the Legos together. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, they hated me from the very beginning. 
the world hates you. Don't be surprised. They hated me first. Expect opposition. Expect problems. But while you're expecting them, here's the good news, man. Know they're coming if you're embracing God's calling. I love, go back to Egypt. The land that had once enslaved the Jews, God is now using to protect the Jews. If you check out history, it's, it's not, we always act like it's all ironic that God sent Joseph to Egypt. There was an area in Egypt, like at the very north of it, that was full of Jews. Like everybody had went there. It was their spot. Right? So this, this wasn't like God just randomly flipped a coin. He was like, oh, that looks like a cool area to, to go to. Let's go there. No, he, he uses a land that enslaved Jews to now protect Jews. He's the master of change. Huh? He's the master of change. Changing up stuff. Leads us to number three. While you're expecting opposition and expecting problems, make sure you're embracing God's operation. Embrace God's operation. Listen to this quote. When the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and the princes have all gone home, when the shepherds are back with their flocks, then the real work of Christ begins. Huh? When that pretty little picture y'all all paint all the time is over. That's when the real work begins. That's when God's weaving everything back together to accomplish his will. The happenings of history work out exactly the way God wanted it. Why? Because God is making history. Right? The last time I preached this chapter, all we looked at was all the prophecies that came true. So I ain't even going into that. But I tell you right now, if you don't know them, go back and check them out. Bathed in these verses is prophecies that had to come true. You know, I used the illustration a few weeks back about how, like, there were 630-something prophecies, I think it was, that had to come to pass, and if only eight of them were used in statistics. Only eight. Eight or 11, I can't remember. Eight or 11. Don't, don't hold me to that one. The state of Texas would be filled with quarters, and then another guy does it with golf balls, two feet deep. And you'd have to pick one out of it. That's crazy. And that's only a portion of them, Right? And then, then if you added, like, I think it was 30, then you get one out of uh, 10 with, like, 24 zeros behind it or something absurd. If it's just wild, check it out. Go back and listen a couple weeks ago. You probably need to listen again. I need to listen again because I didn't remember it. <laughs> the cool thing, though, about this is what I love this lesson is that nothing surprises God. God's not surprised by any of it. He, he, he sends him here. Oh, that didn't work out. Let me get him to go back to sleep, and I'll just tell him in a dream to travel again another spot. Oh, that guy, oh, uh, travel again, right? Nothing slows him down. King Herod was strong, he was mighty, but he was nothing compared to King Jesus, right? Life is often like that, man. It don't go as we planned. There's a lot of blahs, a lot of changes. Uh, life happens. Oh, they'll, they'll just, yeah. God is great, God is good, God's in charge, though. And when God calls you, God provides for you. I mean, literally, if, he, if you would just be obedient and following through, he provides the life. Do you think he would have told Mary and Dad? Sometimes I wonder when we, when we don't acknowledge how fully encompassing God really is, right? Like, Mary, Joseph, I want you to go to Egypt. Oh, you're on your own. Good luck. No. How in the world would Mary, Joseph, this young child, survive in a foreign country? No immediate family, no, no resources, no income. How? God's already given them chest full of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. He's provided a, a, a gift of value, a currency that's accepted throughout the whole known world at the time. And it would come in like jars. It would be easy for transport. He even made it easy for the transport, right? God will provide if you walk obediently in his will, if we're following through. You could, you could say it this way. The safest place to be is exactly where God's leading you, even when you don't understand it. Could you imagine being some of these guys in, in Scripture that are told to go to places that you know you shouldn't be going, 
You know you wouldn't be accepted. You know you wouldn't be welcomed. But yet because you followed through and you were obedient, God, God made it work out perfectly, despite the area, despite the thing. I mean, look at the wise men. They followed a star. They followed a star and it stopped, so they asked some questions. They asked enough questions and then the star magically appeared again and they followed it again and, they, and it led them to the Christ child. Then, then they followed God's instructions and they escaped the wrath of Herod, right? Joseph, he followed the angel's instructions as he, he escaped Egypt. Joseph, he followed God's instructions and he escaped the wrath of his son. Wilson did a much better job trying to pronounce his name. I'm just going to call him Mr. A, right? Like, yeah. Following, they're following God's instruction. God's providing a way out. The safest place you can be is in the center of God's will because God's in charge. He's still on the throne. He's still the Lord of Lords. He's still the great I am. He is El Shaddai. I mean, this is, this is good stuff, man. The, the obedience to God works in ways that we don't understand until we look through God's perspective. And we see it. His provision, his act immediately. Why? Because if we're sons and daughters of the king of kings, daddy's going to take care of you. I see God's provision all, all over this, man. The, the, the breakdown is, is the care exercised by God when it talks about the provision here, that word. It takes the care of us to prepare us. Matter of fact, he's taking care of us and preparing us for things that ain't even happened yet. Can you imagine, like, God's already got answers for problems you ain't even had yet? I mean, that sounds crazy, doesn't it? But that's the truth. God's already got solutions to situations you ain't even got in yet. Because, because he's not bound by time. He provides. He provided for their journey. The, the, the prophecies being fulfilled, right? I mean, God literally took him in a circle just to make sure all the prophecies come true. He's going to come out of there. He's going to come out of there. They're going to say he left there, right? He's got it all worked out. He's promised what has come to pass. And if not, it's still going to come to pass. He's going to work it out so that his glory is seen. He's always present. Never leaving Mary and Joseph. Never, 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 never deserting them. Yeah, Herod could kill the hopes and the, the ideas they had, but they can't stop what God's got going on. In the midst of our problems, God is present. Last week, I don't know if you, you guys remember Friday when the wind got crazy. I was, I was riding home. That wind came. It was bringing in that, that cold air. You know, so, so I mean, just, it, was, it was so windy, so chaotic. And, and I was driving by, and somebody's nativity scene had blown over. They had out front. And I thought to myself, I was like, how cool is it that the Lord brought in some problems, and when the problems came, everybody just bowed to the baby in the manger. Right? The, the manger is just so low and so small, it couldn't get blown over. How, how perfect is that, right? They ought to be bowing anyway. Maybe there's another thing. When you set up your nativity scene this week, just go ahead and have everything else flat down. Face down on the ground. Boom. Uh, it'll look like chaos. Your wife will be mad that you didn't set it up right. And all you got to say is, baby, just put on your God goggles. Look at it from his perspective, and you'll see they're just bowing down and having worship. Right? Man, we can make it good, Bo, right? <laughs> God doesn't always tell us everything about the future. But he does promise that if we're walking with him, he'll lead us through it. Maybe, maybe it's this. If you want to know God's will more, because I hear people say, oh, I just want to know what God wants. If you want to know God's will more, start doing what you already know. Start doing what you already know. Start in small increments. Start with little tiny stuff. You know you're not supposed to do that? Don't do that. You know you're supposed to read the word? Then read the word. You know you're supposed to pray? Then pray. You know you shouldn't hang out with that person? Don't hang out with that person. Start, start in little tiny increments. Start doing what God's already told you. Because I think a lot of us sometimes, we be praying to God that we want to know more, and God's looking back telling us, I've already told you, and you're not doing that part. Right? I've already told you, you're not doing that. Why should I tell you more? 
God did not tell Joseph to go to Nazareth until he first obeyed and went to Judah. You ever thought about that? What if, it, what if, he, what if he didn't obey on the first dream? How different could it have been? Right? But then he obeyed on the first dream. And God gave him a second dream. And he obeyed on the second dream. So God gave him a third dream. And he obeyed on the third dream. So God brought forth the fourth dream. See, some of your greatest blessings aren't until dream number four, but you ain't got dream number four because you're still not obeying dream number one. Hmm? God's provision, man. God don't steal parked cars. I stole that one, but it's good, right? God don't steal parked cars. Steer parked cars. He don't steal them either. That'd be, that'd be disobedient, breaking the law. God don't break the law, right? If he took it, it was because of good purpose. If you want God to, to guide you to move inside I'm serious. I challenge you guys. Start moving into things God's already told you. I believe that if you really want to know God's will, you'll know it. I don't think it's like a secret. I, I, I'm not reading anything in Scripture where it's like, and I will do my best to diverge my plan and keep it a secret from them so that they never know what it is I truly want from them. There's no verse like that. It actually says, if you're my child, then I keep no secrets from you. Right? I have blessings for you. I have things that you would follow, right? I think God wants to reveal some stuff to us. You, you, we always talk about, like, making New Year's resolutions. But let me just give you, I think I got, like, six or seven that I had, I had jotted down that are, like, guaranteed. And there's way more than this, right? But here's things backed up by Scripture that God's wanting you to do this year, which is, which is really neat, right? So here's the first thing. Just put his kingdom first. Matthew, and I'll back all of them up by verses. Matthew six thirty three. but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all the things will be given to you as well. You want godly stuff? Seek his kingdom. Seek his stuff. That's easy. How about this one? Read his word daily. Psalm chapter 1, verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night on it. So I get, oh, I got to change it. Don't just read his word daily. Read his word daily twice. Uh, you got to read it in the morning and at night. I think if you get you one in, it would be good to start, though. Right? I'll tell you what, I'm going to go, I, I challenge the men for this. I'm going to use this for the whole church. The men are challenged to read Joshua chapter 1 over the next week and a half. That's where we're going. So if you miss Wednesday night, men, read Joshua chapter 1. Now, if you attend on Sunday as well, if you're a really holy Christian, right, you're going to have to read extra. Because I'm going to challenge you right now as a church, read Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Read it for the whole week. It'll take you three minutes. And I know it would take you three minutes because it took me three minutes, and I'm the slowest reader in the world. So I can guarantee you, you get three minutes or less. Just read, just read it one time a day. That's all I'm asking. One time a day. That's it. And let's see what God can do. See, I think God's going to do it. We, we coming up, I don't know if you realize it, we coming up on our 10th anniversary being here. I didn't realize that. We was running some day. 10 years. Don't you think God's got something special planned if he's kept us here for 10 years? Don't you think he wants to do some big stuff? I mean, we already starting the year off knowing some changes is coming, and that's good. Right? 10 years, man, a lot of stuff can happen, right? So I, so I, I, I challenge you guys. Start with the word. Read it. Another one, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. It's God's will. You want to know God's will? It's God's will that you, should be, that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual morality. Practice sexual purity, right? Give to, his, give, give to the work of God. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and see that it will not throw open, and I'll open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you don't have enough room for it. You, you say all the time, man, like, Man, I, I hear stories like Mitch just gave about it getting, somebody was able to give $10,000. I bet you could do it. I bet I look in the parking lot, you're driving something that costs $10,000, you could do it. I'm serious. 
You choose where your money goes, right? Now, pray about it. See if you led. But, but I believe you could. And God says this, that, that if you will do it, if you'll be obedient in it, I'll give so much you can't store it. You can't outgive me is what God says. And, and there's one thing, you know, believers always trying or unbelievers always trying to, like, call God out on something. I wish somebody would try to call God out on this one. You know what I'm saying? And if you need to, you start writing your checks to Brookhaven Fellowship. <laughs> I challenge you to give all you can give, and we'll see what the Lord can do, right? No. He says, you can't outgive me, man. If, if you'll do it, you won't have enough room for the blessings I'm going to away. Here, here's another one. We'll be on five. Encourage others and challenge them to grow. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 24. And let us consider how that we may spur one another along toward love and good deeds. Man, what would happen in the church if we would start spurring each other along in the right direction? If we would encourage people, challenge people in the right way for them to grow. Spur them along. Spur them along, not in a negative way. What does it say? Spur one another along toward love and good deeds. How about Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25? You want to do something this year that's part of God's will, make Sunday attendance a holy habit. And I don't care what day of the week you do it, but I just use Sunday because it's for us. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another along as the more as you see the day approaching. I don't, I don't think you can get enough Bible study. You know what I'm saying? Like that, that kind of goes back to that. Maybe, maybe when he's talking about giving, maybe we need to apply it spiritually. Rather than you thinking on the dollar, what if you were to give God, try to outgive God with time on his stuff? How blessed could you be? Well, God, I really don't want to get up early and study the word. But if you do, how many blessings could flow out of the word? Well, God, I, I work on Wednesday, so I getting it to the church. And, and you know what? That church is going to provide a meal for you so you can come straight in from work, get your food, and then get some spiritual food. Kind of takes the excuses right on out of it, don't it? Huh? Yeah, but what if they don't end right at 8? What if they go to like 8.05? Well, you get five extra minutes of blessings from the Lord. Huh? I I mean, seriously, think about it. Well, God, you know, I don't know if I can get up a couple minutes. I challenge men. I, I started getting up earlier before I even read the Word. I now get up and just sit in a chair in the living room. I try to get it for 30 minutes, but like this last week, it was like 15 to 20, to be honest, right? But I, but I just sit in that chair staring. Staring at a fireplace that sometimes ain't burning. Staring out a window that there ain't much out of. But just staring. I'm just being still and trying to wait on the Lord. Right? Then I'll open up. But you're going to open up Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and Joshua chapter 1. Right? And hear from the Lord. Hear from the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we can start this year off, Lord. In a relationship with you. God, thank you for your... Your call for us to stay in this chapter in Matthew, Lord God, to finish out just a, just a piece of your story in the beginning. And God, I pray that we grab the lessons from it, Lord. God, that we follow Joseph's example where we need to be more obedient. God, put a burden on us right now, Lord, to stop delaying where it is you've called us to be obedient, what it is you've called us to do, who it is you've called us to go to, what action it is you've called us to take. Enough with the words, Lord God, stir us to action. God, help us to know that where we go, you go with us. God, help us to follow your way, your will. God, help us to expect attacks from the enemy so that we're not surprised by them, Lord God. God, make us courageous enough to be able to withstand those attacks. And Lord God, thank you that all of it, all of it, Lord God, 
It's just lining up what it is that you've got planned. Your perspective, Lord God, your vision, your picture, your plan. In your great and holy name we pray.